Hello everyone, I'm Angela and you're listening to A Hollywood Tragedy. Monroe found herself at the center of a scandal in March 1952 when she revealed publicly that she had posed for a nude calendar in 1949. The studio had learned about the photos and that she was publicly rumored to be the model some weeks prior and together with Monroe decided that to prevent damaging her career, it was best to admit to them while stressing that she had been broke at the time. The strategy gained her public sympathy and increased interest in her films, for which she was now receiving top billing. Despite her newfound popularity as a sex symbol, Monroe also wished to showcase more of her acting range. She had begun taking acting classes with Michael Chekhov and mime Lottie Gosler, soon after beginning the Fox contract, and Clash by Night and Don't Bother to Knock showed her in different roles. Monroe's three other films in 1952 continued with her typecasting and comedic roles that highlighted her sex appeal. In We Are Not Married, her role as a beauty pageant contestant was created solely to present Marilyn in two bathing suits, according to its writer, Nunnally Johnson. In Howard Hawke's Monkey Business, in which she acted opposite Cary Grant, she played a secretary who is a dumb, childish blonde, innocently unaware of the havoc her sexiness causes around her. In O. Henry's Full House with Charles Lawton, she appeared in a passing vignette as a 19th century streetwalker. Monroe added to her reputation as a new sex symbol with publicity stunts that year. She wore a revealing dress when acting as Grand Marshal at the Miss American Pageant at the Miss America Pageant Parade and told gossip columnist Earl Wilson that she usually wore no underwear. By the end of the year, gossip columnist Flora Bell Moore named Monroe the It Girl of 1952. During this period, Monroe gained a reputation for being difficult to work with, which would worsen as her career progressed. She was often late or did not show up at all, did not remember her lines, and would demand several retakes before she was satisfied with her performances. Her dependence on her acting coaches, Natasha Lytes and then Paula Strasberg, also irritated directors. Monroe's problems have been attributed to a combination of perfectionism, low self-esteem, and stage fright. She disliked her lack of control on films and never experienced similar problems during photo shoots, in which she had more say over her performance and could be more spontaneous instead of following a script. To alleviate her anxiety and chronic insomnia, she began to use barbiturates, amphetamines, and alcohol, which also exasperated her problems, 
although she did not become severely addicted until 1956. Monroe starred in three movies that were released in 1953 and emerged as a major sex symbol of one of Hollywood's most bankable performers. The first was the Technicolor film Noir Niagara, in which she played a femi fatale scheming to murder her husband, played by Joseph Cotton. By then, Monroe and her makeup artist, Alan Whitey Snyder, had developed her trademark makeup look. Dark arched brows, pale skin, glistening red lips, and a beauty mark. According to Sarah Churchwell, Niagara was one of the most overtly sexual films of Monroe's career. In some scenes, Monroe's body was covered only by a sheet or a towel, considered shocking by contemporary audiences. When Niagara was released in January 1953, women's clubs protested it as immoral, but it proved popular with audiences. While Niagara made Monroe a sex symbol and established her look, her second film of 1953, the satirical musical comedy Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, cemented her screen persona as a dumb blonde. Based on Anita Liu's novel and its Broadway version, the film focuses on two gold-digging showgirls played by Monroe and Jane Russell. In September, Monroe made her television debut in the Jack Benny show playing Jack's fantasy woman in the episode Honolulu Trip. She co-starred with Betty Grable and Lauren Bacall in her third movie of the year, How to Marry a Millionaire, released in November. It featured Monroe as a naive model who teams up with her friends to find rich husbands repeating the successful formula of gentlemen prefer blondes. Monroe was listed in the annual Top 10 Money-Making Stars poll in both 1953 and 1954, and according to Fox historian Aubrey Solomon, became the studio's greatest asset alongside CinemaScope. Monroe had become one of 20th Century Fox's biggest stars, but her contract had not changed since 1950, so that she was paid far less than other stars of her stature and could not choose her projects. In April 1954, Otto Preminger's Western River of No Return, the last film that Monroe had filmed prior to the suspension of her contract, was released. She called it a Z-grade cowboy movie in which the acting finished second to the scenery and the cinemascope process, but it was popular with audiences. In September 1954, Monroe began filming Billy Wilder's comedy, The Seven-Year Itch, starring opposite Tom Ewell as a woman who becomes the object of her married neighbor's 
sexual fantasies. Although the film was shot in Hollywood, the studio decided to generate advanced publicity by staging the filming of a scene in which Monroe was standing on a subway grate with air blowing up the skirt of her white dress on Lexington Avenue in Manhattan. The shoot lasted for several hours and attracted nearly 2,000 spectators. The subway grate scene became one of Monroe's most famous and the seven-year itch became one of the biggest commercial successes of the year. The publicity stunt placed Monroe on international front pages, and it also marked the end of her marriage to DiMaggio, who was infuriated, and who was infuriated by it. The union had been troubled from the start by his jealousy and controlling attitude. He was also physically abusive. After returning from New York City to Hollywood in October 1954, Monroe filed for divorce after only nine months of marriage. After filming the seven-year itch wrapped up in November 1954, Monroe left Hollywood for the East Coast, where she and photographer Milton Green founded their own production company, Marilyn Monroe Productions. Monroe stated that she was tired of the same old sex roles and asserted that she was no longer under contract to Fox as it had not fulfilled its duties such as paying her the promised bonus. After founding MMP, Monroe moved to Manhattan and spent 1955 studying acting. Monroe continued her relationship with DiMaggio despite the ongoing divorce process. She also dated actor Marlon Brando and playwright Arthur Miller. She had first been introduced to Miller by Elia Kazan in the early 1950s. The affair between Monroe and Miller became increasingly serious after October 1955 when her divorce was finalized. The studio urged her to end it as Miller was being investigated by the FBI for allegations of communism. By the end of the year, Monroe and Fox signed a new seven-year contract as MMP would not be able to finance films alone and the studio was eager to have Monroe working for them again. Monroe began 1956 by announcing her win over 20th Century Fox. She legally changed her name to Marilyn Monroe. The press wrote favorably about her decision to fight the studio. Time called her a shrewd businesswoman, and Look predicted that the win would be an example of the individual against the herd for years to come. In March, Monroe began filming the drama Bus Stop, her first film under the new contract. The filming took place in Idaho and Arizona, with Monroe technically in charge as the head of MMP, occasionally making decisions on cinema, cinema photography, and with Logan, Joshua Logan, adapting to her chronic lateness and perfectionism. On June 29, 1956, Monroe and Miller were married at the Westchester County Courthouse in White Plains, New York. Two days later, they had a Jewish ceremony at the home of Kay Brown, Miller's literary agent. 
Bus Stop was released in August 1956 and became a critical and commercial success. In August, Monroe also began filming MMP's first independent production, The Prince and the Showgirl, at Pinewood Studios in England. Monroe also experienced other problems during the production. Her dependence on pharmaceuticals escalated, and according to Spotto, she had a miscarriage. After returning from England, Monroe took an 18-month hiatus to concentrate on family life. She and Miller split their time between New York City, Connecticut, and Long Island. She had an ectopic pregnancy in mid-1957 and a, mis- and a miscarriage a year later. Those problems were most likely linked to her endometrius. Monroe was also briefly hosp- hospitalized due to a barbiturate overdose. Monroe returned to Hollywood in July 1958 to act opposite Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis in Billy Wilder's comedy on gender roles, Some Like It Hot. Monroe privately likened the production to a sinking ship and commented on her co-stars and director saying, But why should I worry? I have no phallic symbol to lose. In the end, Wilder was happy with Monroe's performance, saying anyone can remember lines, but it takes real artists to come on the set and know and not know her lines and yet give the performance she did. After Some Like It Hot, Monroe took another hiatus until late 1959 when she starred in the musical comedy Let's Make Love. The last film Monroe completed was John Huston's The Misfits, which Miller had written to provide her with a dramatic role. Monroe and Miller separated after the filming wrap, and she obtained a Mexican divorce in January 1961. Monroe was next to star in a television adaptation of W. Somerset Maugham's Rain for NBC, but the project fell through as the network did not want to hire her choice of director, Lee Strasberg. Instead of working, she spent the first six months of 1961 preoccupied with health problems. She underwent a surgery for her endometrius and spent four weeks hospitalized for depression. She was helped by DiMaggio, with whom she rekindled a friendship and dated his friend Frank Sinatra for several months. Monroe also moved permanently back to California in 1961, purchasing a house at 12305 5th Helena Drive in Brentwood, Los Angeles in early 1962. Monroe returned to the public eye in the spring of 1962. She received a World Film Favorite Golden Globe Award and began to shoot a film for Fox, Something's Got to Give, a remake of My Favorite Wife, 1940. Monroe was too sick to work for most of the next six weeks, but despite confirmations by multiple doctors, the studio pressured her by alleging publicly that she was faking it. 
Monroe's next film Monroe next filmed a scene for Something's Got to Give in which she swam naked in a pool to generate advance publicity. The press was invited to take photographs. These were later published in Life. Fox soon regretted its decision and reopened negotiations with Monroe later in June. A settlement about a new contract, including the recommencing Something's Got to Give in a starring role in the black comedy A Way to Go, 1964, was reached later that summer. She was also planning on starring in a biopic of Jean Harlow to repair her public image. Monroe engaged in several publicity ventures, including interviews for Life in Cosmopolitan, and her first photo shoot for Vogue. <clears throat> During her final months, Monroe lived at 12305 Fifth Helena Drive in the Brentwood neighborhood of Los Angeles. Her housekeeper, Eunice Murray, was staying overnight at the home on the evening of August 4, 1962. Murray woke at 3 a.m. on August 5th and sensed that something was wrong. She saw light from under Monroe's bedroom door, but was unable to get a response and found the door locked. Murray then called Monroe's psychiatrist, Ralph Greenson, who arrived at the house shortly after and broke into the bedroom through a window to find Monroe dead in bed. Monroe's physician, Hyman Engelberg, arrived at 5.30 a.m. Excuse me, at 3.50 a.m. and pronounced her dead. At 4.25 a.m., the Los Angeles Police Department was notified. Monroe died between 8.30 p.m. and 10.30 p.m. on August 4th. The toxicology report showed that the cause of death was acute barbiturate poisoning. Empty medicine bottles were found next to the bed. The possibility that Monroe had accidentally overdosed was ruled out because the dosages found in her body was several times the lethal limit. The Los Angeles County Coroner's Office was assisted in their investigation by the Los Angeles Suicide Prevention Team, who had expert knowledge on suicide. Monroe's sudden death was front-page news in the United States and Europe. According to Lois Banner, it's, it's said the suicide rate in Los Angeles doubled the month after she died. The circulation rate of most newspapers expanded that month and the Chicago Tribune reported that they had received hundreds of phone calls from members of the public requesting information about her death. Her funeral was held at the Westwood Village Memorial Park Cemetery on August 8th. It was private and attended by only her closest associates. The service was arranged by Joe DiMaggio, Monroe's half-sister Bernice Baker Miracle, and Monroe's business manager, Inez Melson. Hundreds of spectators crowded the streets around the cemetery. Monroe was later entombed at Crypt Number 24 at the Corridor of Memories. In the following decades, several conspiracy theories, including murder and accidental overdose dose, have been introduced to contradict suicide as the cause of Monroe's death. The speculation that Monroe had been murdered first gained mainstream attention with the publication of Norman Mailer's Marilyn, a biography in 1973, and in the following years became widespread enough for the Los Angeles County District Attorney John Van de Camp 
to conduct a threshold investigation in 1982 to see whether a criminal investigation should be opened. No evidence of foul play was found. Thanks for listening to A Hollywood Hollywood Tragedy. Please like and subscribe.